Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Let's open the Word of God to Mark chapter 13. Today, Lord willing... This will be our final week in Mark chapter 13. The Olivet Discourse, the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were on the Mount of Olives. And we're going to pick up in verse 28, where Jesus said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. As surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, we're so blessed to be here. Such a delight to sing praises to you, to partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what you have done for us, Jesus. And Lord, now as we enter into your word, the conclusion of the Olivet Discourse, Lord, we pray for your spirit to enlighten us with your truth. Remind us that we have been set free from your judgment. Understanding that there is this time coming where you will judge the world on this earth. We're so thankful, Lord, that our sin has been judged at the cross. That we don't have to fear, that we've been given the wonderful promises of God in your word. That you have not ordained us for wrath, but you have given us a blessed hope, your church. Nevertheless, Lord, as we have read in this Olivet Discourse of what is on the horizon for this world, may we have a heart of thanks towards you, God. And may your spirit pierce our hearts and to give us urgency that we might live in this world this evil and corrupt world living as lights and salt to the earth, Lord, that we might demonstrate your love, rejoicing always in you, Lord. Speak to our hearts today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So remember in verse 14 of Mark chapter 13, Jesus fast forward in time of what he was sharing with the disciples then, um, to the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period, in which we know from the scriptures, this is Daniel's 70th week, we understand that the Antichrist will be on the scene. We understand as we looked at Daniel chapter 9 that the Antichrist will make a covenant with the many, which is Israel, and there will be the temple. It will be built uh, 
offerings and sacrifices will be taking place and they will be worshiping God um, from the law of Moses. And then halfway, the abomination of desolation, halfway point of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist will be in the Holy of Holies and he will declare himself as God and he will demand worship. And we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul told the church there of what would take place in the future. We also looked at Revelation chapter 13 where, again, the Spirit of the Lord reminds us of these things that will take place. And we understand that Jesus, speaking of this, uh, mentioned that this will be a time period, this last three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation period, where it will be like no other time on earth. It will literally be a time of judgment coming upon uh, the earth, the unbelieving uh, people that are living at that time. So this is the time period before the second coming of Jesus. And that's, remind, the Olivet Discourse, the disciples asked him, what, when will these things take place? When will the end of the age come? And they're all pointing to that, the second coming of Jesus as we know it. So it's all, uh, you know, Jesus sharing toward the future. And um, so when we look at verse 28, actually back to verse 14 for a moment. Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, we understand when he says, when he said, when you see, he was not talking to the disciples in the sense that he expected the disciples would be living at that time, future, the abomination of desolation. And that's important for us to understand. Uh, Jesus pointing to the future, still future for us. So the you here in verse 14, referring to those who will be alive at that particular time when the abomination of desolation takes place in the temple with the Antichrist demanding himself to be God. So now as we come to verse 28 then, Jesus said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And now we understand that Jesus taught in parables and he, it's very clear. Learn the parable. Learn this parable. And throughout scriptures, we understand parables to be uh, teachings or the Lord communicating spiritual or heavenly truths uh, through earthly illustrations. So we can rightly assume that Jesus did not mean for this to be confusing. He meant it to be so you could learn, not only his disciples, but all who would be in the word of God here. We rightly assume Jesus wants this to be learned. So obviously when we look at this, the substance of the parable is the fig tree, right? Now there are very many, many, many well-respected Bible scholars, commentators, and teachers that point to the fig tree being Israel. And why would they think that? Well, let's look at some scriptures here. Go back to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, where it says, in verse 12, it says, So, or now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps 
he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. So in that illustration there, the fig tree, well, as we understand it, illustrating Israel, Jesus went to the fig tree because he was hungry. When he got to the fig tree, it had leaves but no fruit, and that was an illustration or a picture of Israel and their apostate religion or their lifeless religion, having religion but no fruit, spiritual barrenness, and thus Jesus cursed the fig tree. We also know throughout scriptures that the fig tree represents um, Israel. For instance, um, Jeremiah 24, verses 1 through 7. So the Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, and the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are the first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. How about Joel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which says, For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. So there's are just two of many, many, many verses that point to Israel being an illustration or using a fig tree um, to represent Israel. Now, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 31, this is how it's stated there. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now it's interesting here, Luke presents, he says, not only of the fig tree, but all trees. And I think that's important for us to understand. Now do not mishear me when I say this. Yes, the fig tree points to Israel, but I think in the scriptures, in this passage, it's already, it's built in. Jesus was speaking, or an atmosphere, as Wiersbe says, it's the atmosphere of Jesus speaking to the Jewish people. It's built in there. What sometimes happens is we get so focused on the fig tree that we miss the big picture in what Jesus was saying. And I go back to the parable, so learn the parable. See, sometimes we let things creep in, and the next thing you know, we miss the whole meaning. 
And I think that's happened. But I'm just a simple guy. Jesus said, learn the parable, meaning I can, I can understand the parable. Now, then, don't miss me. Don't go out there and tell us, well, Jim does not believe the fig tree is Israel. All right, don't go say that. You'll start something just crazy. It, it, it happens. Or, and, then, uh, and don't say, well, he's playing the fence either. I'm just sharing the scripture here, what Jesus said. Right? So, but Luke said, all trees. Again, the big picture in this Olivet Discourse, referring to the fig tree, all pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ and pointing to the fact that as time goes on, these things that Jesus spoke of, these things that will increase in frequency and intensity just as a woman who is pregnant, her labor increases as, you know, near the end, and then the baby arrives. And that's what Jesus is saying here when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. Now, look at verse 29 for the application here. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Again, the you here is not the disciples. The disciples were not going to be 2,000 plus years old, you know, when the abomination of desolation happens right prior to the second coming of Jesus, these disciples are not alive. Obviously, we know that because they're not, they're not alive. So the you here, again, speaking to those who will be living at that time, and again, Jesus says these things, and again, this goes clear back again to the question in which the disciples asked Jesus um, you know, to start the Olivet Discourse concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things be fulfilled? And so the last few weeks, we concentrated, emphasized, looked at more in depth these things, you know, the signs of the time. That would happen from when Jesus spoke, clear, in time, clear until the second coming of Jesus. And again, it will be, intensified, more frequency. You think of false Christ, wars of rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution. And now this fig tree, Jesus is saying, when you see the leaves, you'll know that summer is near. So we have no, you think it's bad now. When this, we see it, it's, we see it, right? We see the intensity just in our own lives. It, just in our young lives, we've seen how things have changed so fast. And we can see these things happening. Whereas 20 years, maybe 30 years ago, we wouldn't see, well, you know, there's going to have to be peace for that temple to be built. Right? And then, you know, just a few years ago, things started to change. You have some normal relationships from Arab countries with, with the, Israel. And we understand it's all false peace, right? It's all setting up. God's allowing it. The Antichrist will come on the scene. But we, that was one of the things years ago. Well, how that's going to happen? Because there's never been peace, peace between Jews and Muslims. But we could see it happening. But again, it's a false peace. But all pertaining to what we're seeing here. Um, so Jesus is at the door, Jesus coming again, and, and remind you this, it is a literal, physical return of Jesus. For some reason, I had to say that. You know why? 
because those who do not believe the book of Revelation or the second coming of Christ, or those who say it's already happened. Wow. I don't know. That doesn't sound too appealing if Jesus already came in a second coming and here we are. That just, just, no, I don't know. This whole Christianity thing would be much different for me if that was the case. But we understand the second coming of Jesus is literal. As we read in Zechariah, he will come and he will be on the Mount of Olives. He will come again. It's not just spiritualizing it. And it's for us, it's our blessed hope. This is, this is glory for us. As we've been looking at Revelation chapter 19, I know the last couple of weeks we've looked at that. When Jesus comes, we see that, the physical return of Jesus. He'll come in great power and glory. Literally. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the door, at the doors. Uh, surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So again, Jesus is making an informed statement that these things will take place. And he said, this generation will by no means pass till all these things take place. So as we simply read this, I think it's clear that Jesus, you know, he's not telling the disciple these things and it means that they are going to be here. But as we read this, we can, you know, it brings the question generation. And again, I'm a simple guy. And when you simply look at the word or do a word study on generation, again, there's a lot of different thoughts and teachings out there by amazing commentators, amazing pastors. But I think the word generation, when you, when you, when you hear those interpretations and so many, again, that we have to digest, but when you just simply look at the Greek here, it speaks of race, stock, family. Now, obviously, we understand the Jewish nation in which God is, they are still the apple of God's eye. And we understand the miracle of May 14th, 1948. Incredible. And then you do have a lot of things we have to digest sometimes when you start well, this generation, well, how long is a generation? Well, some say 40 years, some say 51, some say 100. But again, when you think of it in that terms, you can, you can allow things come in. Again, I'm a simple guy. What, what was Jesus trying to get across here? Well, you look at generation, it means or can mean race, stock, family, which would indeed refer to the Jewish nation, emphasizing God's chosen nation would be preserved to the very end, just as he has promised. And we have much, much, much biblical support for this. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 12. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now we can understand here in the Greek that this is speaking of these people. In fact, Stern's Jewish uh, commentator. These people, referring to Jewish people. So when you think about this, who's Jesus talking about? Sometimes we can get focused on the generation. Jesus speaking of a people. 
What about Mark chapter 8, verse 38? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What about Mark chapter 9, verse 19? He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. You know, every generation of people have, has rejected God, rejected Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior. He's always been rejected. But in this, we see the importance of Israel as a nation, as a people being so significant in God's prophetic plan in the second coming of Jesus Christ. God has used Israel as an instrument to reveal himself, to make himself known to the world. Let's consider this scripture, Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. You are my witnesses. Israel, his, his witnesses. God has chosen, as we know, the nation of Israel to prove his existence. Not that he used him to prove. God doesn't need to prove himself. He is. It's up to man to choose him. But I think one of the great evidences for the existence of God is the nation of Israel. Obviously, he chose a nation from which the Messiah would come. Oh, yeah, but, you know, they, they put Jesus on the cross. You know, my sin put Jesus on the cross. Yes, Israel rejected him. But that, that doesn't take away God's prophetic plan for Israel one bit. The scriptures say that they, Israel, is still the apple of God's eye. That does, has never changed. You think, well, what about the climate today? The anti-Semitism, well, it's always been here. That's just being super exposed now. And it's all part of God's plan. He is allowing that to happen. We understand that the Antichrist, when he comes, there's going to be tremendous warfare against the Jewish people. He's going to want to kill them. All in hopes of the second coming not happening. It's always been that way. Now, when we think about May 14th, 1948, what a miracle, amen? After 70 A.D., the Jews wandered from their homeland over 1,800 years. And history tells us that there was no ethnic group that survived more than five generations, more than 150 years without a homeland. But the Jews did. Why is that? Because of God. Hitler tried to destroy the Jews by killing over six million of them but they remain today. Unfortunately, our children are being taught that the Holocaust never happened. We still have eyewitnesses that it did. There's still still witnesses, just like there was witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, but man chose to not believe. And that comes directly from Satan himself. He's a liar, he's a thief, he's a murderer. In Muslim countries and non-Muslim countries have on their maps that no Israel. Not even acknowledging their existence. 
But in all of this, again, God using Israel and uses prophecy to reveal himself to a world that is rejecting him. Interesting that Jesus says here, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I'm a simple guy. Here's how I interpret that. He said it, it's going to be done. And then I think of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And then I think of Peter, who, who quoted that scripture in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, listen to this. It's not on the screen, I don't think. But anyway, since you, he's talking to believers, since you have purified your hearts or souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That is glorious. God has a plan. We see what Jesus has been teaching us in the Olivet Discourse. It's going to happen because he said it's going to happen. Just as he said he would send his son to this earth to die on the cross for our sin that we might have life. Jesus came. He was rejected. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And just as assured we understand this, as we uh, partook of communion this morning, we understand that, and we can understand everything that Jesus says and the Word of God says in the Word of His second coming, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, just as He said it's going to happen. Now, verse 32 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now this is interesting, right? He's, he's sharing this with the disciples, understanding they will not be living 2,000 plus years later. But here we have an exhortation from Jesus, which I'm convinced is to all. This is, this is for us. Now, we understand that the rapture of the church is imminent. It can happen at any time. We understand that Jesus promised he's coming for his church. We believe that he's going to come for us, the body of Christ, before that seven-year tribulation period, before the Antichrist sets up the covenant with Israel. We understand that. We believe that. But here's the exhortation for us. 
watch and pray. Now again, I'm a simple guy. When I read this, I'm reminded, don't set dates. Don't set dates. We're warned of setting dates. You know, everybody I've ever heard set a date, they get in trouble. When I say they're in trouble, they went astray somewhere. The word watch here in this passage appears three times. And this word watch means to keep awake, to be attentive, to be ready. It has the idea of a watchman who ought not fall asleep while he is on watch or on guard. He's staying alert at all times. We are to, to watch for our master Jesus is coming for his church. So we are to watch and understand that we are to take care of what the master has given us. He's entrusted us. And do you notice here, it's not just, well, it's not just the pastor of the church. It's not children's ministry leaders. It's, it's what's it say here? And to each his work. To be ready, the master is coming. And for every one of us, the Lord has entrusted us with something. Every single one here, he's entrusted us. You know, it says here that there's a doorkeeper to stand watch. Why do we need a doorkeeper? Why are you and I doorkeepers? Well, God has entrusted us with the good news of Jesus Christ. One for our own, right, that we have received that wonderful treasure. We have received salvation upon our profession of faith. We need to watch, we need to watch that because there's one who hates us. He's, there's a thief that wants to come in and steal from us. He wants to rob us of our joy. It also reminds me here, ultimately, this exhortation from Jesus for all of us is to be faithful to be reliable in what he's given to us, to be faithful. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, moreover, it is required in stewards that one would be found faithful, trustworthy with what he has given us. And what's he given us? Well, he's, he's given us his son, Jesus. I love taking communion this morning when Colson mentioned, who is Jesus? Well, we know who Jesus is. No, we, we need to, Chew on that often. Who is Jesus? He's our master. He's our Lord. And if he's our master and Lord, then we are to be obedient to the master and Lord of our lives. We also see here the exhortation, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. It kind of reminds me, and we'll get that in a few weeks, I guess, when the disciples, Jesus just wanted them to pray with him for one hour. And they went to sleep. And we understand. Now, I, I give grace to those disciples. They, they went through a lot. It wasn't like they were Jesus. They were going through a lot. And they were tired. And there is such thing that we get weary and we physically get tired. No doubt about that. But I think here the sleeping means much, much more than just sleeping physically. It really speaks of neglecting. Neglecting what the Lord has given to us. You know, how many have been in, served in the military? This is going to get you, Quinn. Pay attention to this. 
Falling asleep on watch is about the worst thing that you could possibly get in trouble for. It would be constituted as dereliction of duty. You are to stand watch and be alert, to be ready for whatever danger might come. This reminded me um, of my military days being on board a submarine. You know, a submarine, as you would uh, be underwater, it wasn't like you had a windshield to look out there. Praise God for that. We, so you navigated by looking at, you know, instrument panel, control panel, and you would simply, they would tell you as the helmsman to, you know, steer that course. Well, there would guys get tired. They would, they would fall asleep during watch. And I'll never forget if the officer of the deck would say, helmsman, mark your heading. That was saying, okay, somebody's off course. And I remember there were a few times hearing stories, I would never fall asleep on watch, <laughs> but I hearing stories that the quartermaster of the watch would have to come over and say, and nudge the helmsman before he would get in trouble by the officer deck, who just might have fell asleep himself. You're off course, and you have been for quite a while. And I got to thinking about this. How dangerous is it not knowing where you're going, trying to navigate through this uh, you know, compass and, the, and following the heading, if you get off one degree for an hour, how far you get astray? And isn't that so true in our life? When we neglect the things that God has given us to entrust us, if we are off just a little bit, we go astray. When Jesus says, watch and be ready, we cannot neglect the things that God has entrusted us. And again, that, that speaks to every one of us. I don't want to give a long list because I want the Spirit of God to, if you're, there's something neglected in your life, I want the Spirit of God to share with you. And it's interesting, Jesus says here, take heed, watch, and pray. Watch and pray. I'm just a simple guy. And when he says watch and pray, well, what do you want us to pray for? Well, I think it's obvious. what he, he, he wants us as a body of Christ to pray that we would be ready. That we would be, you know, not neglecting the things that he's entrusted us with. What's that look like in a church fellowship? Well, you know, I'm reminded in Psalm 85, where the psalmist is asking of God, revive us. Revive us according to your word. When we think about the body of Christ today, when I say the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ on the face of the earth now, we ought to be praying for revival. Or we can pray for global revival. We could pray for national revival. We can pray you know, for the state, for communities. We can pray for our church, for revival. And pray for one another for individual revival. What's that look like? Well, I can tell you you can pray for your pastor. For the power of God to speak forth his truth in love. 
to lead that we might have a true heart for the lost, to lead in having a heart for the flock, ministering to one another, fervently loving one another, preparing us to receive the Lord. A church can pray for one another as people go through deep waters, as we say. That we wouldn't feel alone because it's the enemy we know. The enemy, he wants us to feel alone. He lies and he goes contrary to the word of God. And what about praying uh, for salvations of family members? What about being intentional and praying for the workplace? And what about praying intentionally for every single ministry within the ministry, servant leaders? all in the context of praying for revival, that we would not lose strength, that we would be steadfast, that we wouldn't have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, Helmsman, mark your heading. That when we do hear that voice, whatever the heading were on the right heading, that we would be able to say, Lord, we are right here. This is what God's entrusted us with. And how much more can we go intentional? What about dads being the spiritual leader of their home? What about wives coming alongside the husband submissively in a biblical submissive way for God to be glorified? Let's just let the Lord do that. He wants us to be ready. You see, so many times, and again, I know my audience, we know prophecy, but it's not just to have knowledge up here. It's got to be here because the Lord, this is the heart of the Lord. When we read the things in Revelation of what will take place in the future, when God's pouring out his judgment, the Lord grieves. Yes, he's a God of holiness and righteous and just, and so he will be pleased to do that. The Bible tells us that the father was pleased for his son to go to the cross. Why? Because of his love. The Lord wants us to be ready. Let me just encourage you, if there is any neglect, if you've fallen asleep in one way or another, he is so gracious. This is like a warning to us. It's a good warning to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We don't have to, as we go through these things in life, we don't have to feel alone. We, we know he, he, it's in his word. He said it, and he's with us. We have the wonderful promises of God, and he'll give us every ounce of strength and wisdom that we need. And boy, do we need it from him. Amen? So how about this? Let's allow the Spirit of God to challenge us this week. If there's any neglect in our own hearts, that we would go to Him. And as a body, that we would pray for one another. Lord, we want to be so ready the way you instruct us to be, and then pray accordingly. If you receive that challenge, say amen with me. Amen. amen. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, what joy it is to be in fellowship with you, to be in fellowship with the body of Christ together. Lord, we're reminded in Luke's gospel that he said, 
when these things happen, look up, for our redemption is near. Lord, we see these things that we've looked at in the Olivet Discourse. We, we understand them th those things, and we understand that the frequency and the intensity of these different things, the spiritual deception, wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, and all those things, Lord, it, what we see now doesn't compare what it will be like. But we also, Lord, you've given us the discernment to understand the times that we're living in, and we know it soon. So, Lord, we receive the challenge of your spirit to watch and pray, to be ready. And we pray that your spirit would indeed move in and through us to pray for the body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. That we would be faithful in all that you've entrusted us with. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Bless them with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is CalvaryChapelFaithFellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.